we have Cover to Cover and Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw, and today I want to talk about Teddy Kennedy, of course, but first of all, I I cannot pass up this date. Today is September the 1st, 1939, and I cannot let this day go by without reading one of the great poems in American literature. It was written... On this date, September the 1st, in 1939, that's the date, the date is the title of the poem. It is, of course, W.H. Auden's masterpiece, and uh, I figure (laughs) this is probably the last time in my lifetime that um, I will be on the air on this date, on September the 1st. Okay, 1939, and now it's 2009, so that's exactly 70 years. 70 big ones, folks. Um, yes, indeed, it's not really a positive poem. I have something positive from St. Augustine to read uh, for Ted Kennedy. Kind of, I think that he did have a happy ending, as those things go. But let's begin with W.H. Auden. Today is September the 1st, 2009, and this poem is September the 1st, 1939. I sit in one of the dives on 52nd Street, uncertain and afraid as the clever hopes expire of a low... Dishonest decade, waves of anger and fear circulate over the bright and darkened lands of the earth, obsessing our private lives. The unmentionable odor of death offends the September night. Accurate scholarship can unearth the whole offense from Luther until now that has driven a culture mad. Find what occurred at Linz, what huge image made a psychopathic god. I and the public know what all school children learn. Those to whom evil is done do evil in return. 
exiled Thucydides knew all that speech can say about democracy and what dictators do, the elderly rubbish they talk to an apathetic grave, analyzed all in his book. The enlightenment driven away, the habit-forming pain, mismanagement and grief, we must suffer them all again. Into this neutral air where blind skyscrapers use their full height to proclaim the strength of collective man, each language pours its vain competitive excuse. But who can live for long in an euphoric dream out of the mirror they stare, imperialism's face, and the international wrong? Faces along the bar cling to their average day. The lights must never go out. The music must always play. All the conventions conspire to make this fort assume the furniture of home. Lest we should see where we are. Lost in a haunted wood. Children afraid of the night who have never been happy or good. The windiest militant trash important persons shout is not so crude as our wish. What Mad Najinsky wrote about Diaghilev is true of the normal heart for the error bred in the bone of each woman and each man craves what it cannot have. Not universal love, but to be loved alone. From the conservative dark into the ethical life, the dense commuters come, repeating their morning vow, I will be true to the wife. I'll concentrate more on my work. And helpless governors wake to resume their compulsory game. Who can release them now? Who can reach the deaf? Who can speak for the dumb? All I have is a voice to undo the folded lie, the romantic lie in the brain of the sensual man in the street, and the lie of authority whose buildings grope the sky. There is no such thing as the state, and no one exists alone. Hunger allows no choice to the citizen or the police. We must love one another or die. Defenseless under the night, our world in stupor lies, yet dotted everywhere ironic points of light flash out wherever the just exchange their messages. May I compose like them of arrows and of dust, beleaguered by the same negation and despair, show an affirming 
flame. That's W.H. Auden's poem, September the 1st, 1939. <laughs> Nothing has changed. Apparently he wrote this poem sitting in a gay bar in New York. Oh, yes, the 52nd Street dive. And uh, uh, like his mention of helpless governors, I was watching Arnold Schwarzenegger there. Oh, the town of Auburn. Sixty buildings burned down. Poor Arnold. Talking about the heroes, you know, heroes. It's not a word that um, comes <laughs> from his mouth properly. I, I, I don't know. It's hard to be hard to be mean to Arnold, but I think um, W. H. Auden's poem. Let's see. It ends with the hope that some of us can show an affirming flame. And I think that I'm willing to grant Ted Kennedy uh, that much. God knows his brothers both died for their country and Ted Kennedy had to live on and on and on for his country, um, for his people, for the, what is it, nearly 16 children. There were all those nieces and nephews to worry about. Uh, <laughs> I thought drives me up the wall when I remember all of the difficulties and problems we had over the years. The Kennedy family is, of course, uh, uh, a major American tragedy, Irish tragedy. People like to call it Shakespearean. Uh, of course, it's dramatic when terrible things happened to people who are privileged, uh, it's very Shakespearean, all that gravitas. Uh, it's not because they are our royals or our aristocrats, but it's uh, because they are in the public eye. They symbolize all of the uh, difficulties of the ordinary person. Uh, but they are writ large. They have to live in public today more than ever. And Ted Kennedy was certainly miscast. <laughs> he... He didn't want the job. The ninth child, Rose's last baby. Uh, he was so good-looking, almost a pretty boy. All the qualities of a playboy, uh, womanizing, and all that Irish nonsense, alcohol, happiest on his sailboat, of course. The Irish love of the sea, um... His was my own generation. He, uh, he's, what, 77 at his death. Uh, I remember his older brothers uh, were in World War II. He didn't quite, yes, he was just a little lad then. The oldest brother, Joseph, died in the war, and John JFK uh, was wounded. A sister died in a plane crash. She, she'd gone and married an English Protestant. Yes, indeed. Rose's heart was broken. Mm. I, I love Rose Kennedy. She was such a, what do you call that? Such an old school lady. She was Boston Irish, and of course, she felt that she was being snubbed by, um, the old regime, the ancient regime. Uh, Joseph Kennedy was uh, a nouveau riche, an up-and-coming uh, 
family patriarch. But he was the son of a saloon keeper, after all. Made his money during Prohibition. And went off to Hollywood by some film companies. That's what you did in the 1930s. <laughs> he he um, uh, ran into Gloria Swanson uh, as a wonderful bit that I, I will spare you. I don't think I should talk such gossipy uh, talk uh, when I'm basically trying to eulogize Ted Kennedy. But um, my father just adored Gloria Swanson. She was, uh, you remember Gloria Swanson in Sunset Boulevard. Uh, she was a silent film star in the beginning. And uh, Joseph Kennedy's Hollywood Conquest. Uh, <laughs> her description of his arrival uh, at her, uh, never mind. I won't, I won't, I won't. Uh, I remember uh, thinking how tragic it was for Joseph and Rose Kennedy. Because they were, of course... Uh, Genuine Catholics struggling with their faith and with the anguish of all the loss they suffered over the years. Uh, Rose kept saying that God had a plan as <laughs> she held it together until, until it came to Bobby. Finally, when Bobby Kennedy was shot and killed, she pretty much fell apart. I remember we used to talk about the, the hubris the tragedy uh, of that family, uh, the romance of their suffering. I'm not sure that they found it romantic. Uh, they were, of course, uh, upstarts. And uh, there were all these distinctions, you know, between, well, the lace curtain Irish were the fancy folks and the bog Irish peasants, you know were the ones that uh, were so discriminated against in the beginning. Uh, I think what those of us know um, who were in the democratic uh, uh, Irish movement, the, uh, what is it, the, the democratic uh, wing of the party, uh, I think our DNA told us that government was... Uh, government was there to help us. It was for use. Uh, why on earth would you want political power if you didn't want the benefit? Uh, uh, the Irish famine of 1847, well, it was almost three years of utter starvation, uh, that scarred the Irish soul. It was, like so many famines, uh, pretty much man-made, the British, the Irish, uh, suffered and died, and the British let them die. They could have saved them. Uh, it's hard for most of us to uh, relate to that period of history. I used to enjoy reading here on KPFA the uh, essay by Jonathan Swift in which he wrote up some recipes. He suggested that the Irish eat their children stewed, broiled, whatever, you know, uh, uh, this would be the most practical solution to their uh, situation, their starvation. <laughs> anyway, I, I remember Tip O'Neill, um, the uh, Irishman that our Congress knew so well. Uh, he used his status as a working class Irishman to bring out the vote. And uh, uh, the Irish angst 
has been useful. Uh, I was upset when Bill Clinton decided to go for the welfare reform bill, he called it. I called it the welfare deform bill, uh, to write, um, tell him he was a bogus Irishman. No Irishman smashes 60 years of social legislation, throws that down the drain uh, without losing his soul. I'll never forgive Bill Clinton for that little gesture. Uh, I'm not sure um, whether Ted Kennedy compromised more than he should have. I I have no real opinion. Uh, he put in 46 years and certainly never lost his vision. He always knew what he wanted and what was right. Uh, what he was up against boggles the mind. Uh, but his goal was always progressive, like his brother, like Bobby. He knew that Wealth was worthless unless it helped the people, uh, unless it fed the hungry. Uh, Bobby Kennedy was always pointing out the need to share resources. Uh, and when the rich began to flee these United States uh, during the Reagan era, Ted Kennedy looked and he said, my God, he said, uh, trying to hang on to their money. He called them, this is a quote, Billionaire Benedict Arnolds. I remember writing that in my notebook. Uh, he spoke to the Senate and said that these people were billionaire Benedict Arnolds. He knew that it's treason to steal from the people, to take your money and run, hide your uh, assets in foreign banks. Uh, I can't help wondering just how Ted Kennedy kept going over the last few decades. Uh, his friends give a great deal of credit to his good wife. Uh, he definitely had a hang-in, hang-on affect. It seemed to be his only choice. He had no choice. In a way, the scandal that followed his failure to save the young woman who died when... Uh, they drove off a bridge one night. Uh, after that, Ted Kennedy seemed to be sleepwalking for a while. Uh, others say that in a way he was almost relieved uh, to have lost forever the role of the hero, the last Kennedy. Uh, that fall from grace, I'm sure, cost him a great deal, but it was clear after that that he would never, ever run for the presidency. Uh, if the plot of Ted Kennedy's life were in a novel or a play, people would say that it was contrived. Um, have you noticed how historic biographies of prominent people always have that quality? It's curious. Uh, I remember once someone saying to me... Um, I think it was meant in a uh, pejorative, derogatory way that I thought I was a novel. And I said, well, everyone is. Gosh, once you get to the end, you see that, you know, you had at least five acts if you lived to be as old as uh, Ted Kennedy. Uh, the most memorable tales are always the ones in which uh, the big issues are dramatized and symbolized. 
I think about these things. I always wonder why Tom Jefferson's life is so profound. And, of course, it's because he lived the last 35 years of it with Sally Hemings. And uh, George Washington, on the other hand, was um, boring like Eisenhower. Abe Lincoln managed to keep going through the Civil War, even with the weight of his terrible depression. And then I wonder why World War I and its aftermath, the failure of the League of Nations, why did that shatter and incapacitate Woodrow Wilson? Uh, mentally, emotionally frail he was, perhaps. Maybe it's better to go through life in a state of heavy depression. <laughs> I think that's why Abe Lincoln was such a, uh, what do you call that, storyteller, like to tell jokes. That's what we have to do. We have to see the absurd in every uh, every act. The Kennedy clan is still with us, and I'm sure that uh, the next generation will rise, and we will find all these wonderful new uh, new young people. They're working hard. Some of them are. Um, is it they? They don't seem to have the celebrity that the older generation has, but. We'll wait and see. They they understand the idea of noblesse oblige, these notions that privilege brings with it responsibilities. You remember Eleanor Roosevelt? Yes. Uh, public service is a concept that kind of went sour with the arrival of Ronald Reagan back in the 1980s. Greed was good. Good for the greedy, anyway. But all that glitters turns out to be not very golden. The grab bag is full of empty calories. And, uh, you know, there's no there there in the land of the rich and famous. And things are coming round again. The wheel has come full circle. We are there. It is my guess that democracy is not dead, not quite dead yet. Not here in the U.S. of A. and not even in Afghanistan. I kept watching the coverage and I thought it's a terrible thing to say, but uh, I, I'm glad that I live here, not in Afghanistan. Can you imagine how it feels if you were the perpetrator, how does it feel to cut off the nose and ears of your countrymen because he had the chutzpah to go out and vote? Cut off the fingers of a woman because her finger is dipped in ink because she voted. Uh, now, I'm glad Ted Kennedy was in the Senate for 46 years, and even if he didn't win all the fights, half a century of public service... Uh, <laughs> is something you can take to the bank. It's value for the money, folks. Uh, I have time. I did want to talk about the Kennedys, about uh, Jackie, about all of the family. But I want to be sure that I have time to read um, a piece by St. Augustine. I went through listening to everyone give the eulogies, and they were all right, of course, and uh, uh, the children particularly. 
said kind things about Ted Kennedy, but uh, I'd like to read a piece from St. Augustine because it gives me the feeling that there's a great mystery afoot here. Um, there's something wonderful about the pagan Irish. You know, they they do not submit to the dogma. Now, I'm sure that uh, Ted Kennedy was a proper Catholic, but... <laughs> I, I think pagans have more fun. I think that there is something in the Kennedy clan that made a, um, what is it, that transferred from the old country into our world and gave us some, what is it, some measure of magic. Uh, these were the good guys. Cary Grant in the White House, yes, that was Jack Kennedy. And the beautiful Jackie, <laughs> how we love Jackie with her her little hat. Uh, Ted Kennedy, of course, was in love with Jackie Kennedy, but uh, they had good sense and knew that that would be bad form. Besides, I think Jackie, when she when she saw that Bobby was shot, killed, she she said they're killing Kennedys, and of course she married. Uh, Onassis, to keep her children safe, um, let me read you this passage from St. Augustine because it seems to me that it holds out hope for the next generation, for the coming around, for the spiral. Augustine, St. Augustine wrote, Let us not leave thee alone to make in the secret of thy knowledge. As thou didst before the creation of the firmament the division of light from darkness. Let the children of thy spirit, placed in their firmament, make their light shine upon the earth. Mark the division of night and day and announce the revolution of the times. For the old order is past and the new arises. The night is spent. The day is come forth, and thou shalt crown the year with thy blessing, when thou shalt send forth laborers into thy harvest, sown by other hands than theirs. When thou shalt send forth new laborers to new seed times, whereof the harvest shall be not yet. I suppose I was looking for something that could make me feel it was worth it just to keep going. <laughs> I brought with me this wonderful issue of the Progressive Magazine, its 100-year anniversary issue. And uh, I went through it and I marked so many articles all of the articles in particular that tell us that there is no such thing as a just war, never was and never will be. And that was true in every year throughout the century uh, that preceded. Let's see, this is 1909 to 2009, 100 years of the Progressive Magazine. And in every one of those years, at least one pundit wrote that uh, there is no such thing as a just war. Uh, here's Erwin Knoll. 
He writes, wasn't it necessary, after all, to stop Hitler? Sure it was. It was necessary, in fact, not to let him get started. But of all the ways to stop Hitler or to keep him from getting started, war was the worst. The way that inflicted the most pain, the most suffering, the most damage on everyone, especially on Hitler's victims. He goes on to say that he won't support our troops, not in the Persian Gulf or anywhere else. I won't support anyone else's troops when they go about their murderous business. I say regretfully to the fallen black soldiers of the 54th Massachusetts and the guys dead on the beaches of Normandy and the young people who threw stones at Brezhnev's tanks in the streets of Czechoslovakia that they died in vain, perpetuating a cycle of human violence that must be stopped. There is no such thing as a just war. Never will be. It's a shooting gallery. That's what Ted Kennedy said. Put a stop to it now. This has been Jennifer Stone. I'll be back on the air Thursday morning at 8.20. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Long, long playing. Only 27 years old and the hottest artist on the classical music planet. The brilliant Chinese prodigy will discuss his astonishing life and glorious art in conversation with Berkeley's own superb pianist Sarah Cahill on September 8th, Tuesday evening, at Zellerbach Auditorium on the UC campus. Tickets at calperformances.org or independent bookstores. This KPFA benefit, co-sponsored by Berkeley Arts and Letters, is described on the KPFA website. It will be great. <laughs>